Even all, welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things on the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll be doing a review of Monday Night Football, previewing all the Premier League action, looking at the main topics across the English Football League, touching on our local team, Yeovil Town FC, and a new feature, boys, Spin the Wheel. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Murphy. Once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Uh, boys, we'll get straight into it. Monday Night Football. Uh, Tomo, what did you think of Arsenal? Uh, yeah, so I was really, I was really impressed, really, um, with the manner of victory, especially after the red card. Um, Mikel Arteta has installed a sort of a, he's definitely installed a winning mentality into that into that team, and basically on celebration watch after the game, I was looking at your Declan Rice's after the game, and they were absolutely buzzing just to get a one 0 win, and they know, and that's because they know so early on in the season. They need to keep track and um, basically keep up with Man City. So, yeah, it's a great win for them. Um, and, yeah, you move on. It's the sort of game they don't win, isn't it? A couple yeah, of years exactly. ago. Um, I was really impressed with Arsenal. I think you said it in one of the groups, Murph, um, the way they just ground it out, especially after going down to 10 men. I thought Declan Rice had a brilliant game. I think I'm watching him a little bit keener than I normally would probably watch a player just because I want him to do well and see how he does at Arsenal. But I think he gave the ball away once that I saw. Um, and just little things like when Gabriel came on, who's obviously been left out for the last couple of weeks, like little like clearances and Ramsdale getting the ball, they were all like chest bumping each other and stuff like that. Like the celebrations were almost every time they saw out another Crystal Palace attack. And I think it was a, a really important game for them. Like you said, Tomo, early on in the season... Um, to know that they haven't let something slip already. And they had a really good start to the season last year at Arsenal, and that's set them in good stead. Obviously, they drifted away towards the end and they'll be wanting to go one step further this year. So, big win for them, and they did it in an impressive manner at a really difficult place to go under the lights at Selhurst Park. Yeah, impressive display. Um, my only bit watching it was... Uh, whether they'll they'll have games this year where they don't quite get the results, where the strikers just don't score the goals that they need them to. You look at like Inketia, I think he had two first half chances, didn't he? The first one where he brilliantly spanned his man and clipped the post, and then one where Rice played him through. He's done everything right, but just kind of put it on the top of the net. I've seen that Jesus is back in training. Um, I think he'll be back in starting soon. Is he the prolific goal scorer? that wins you a title? Is he the 25-30 goal a season man that beats City? I just wonder and interested on what you boys have to think about are Nketiah and Jesus enough goals to, to win you a title? Tomo? So, I think we spoke about this in a previous pod with Gabriel Jesus. He reminds me, he might not get you the, the sort of the Haaland numbers, the Kane numbers, but he reminds me of Firmino in that Mane, Salah, Firmino front three where he basically links the play, does everything off the ball, and actually him doing that makes Martinelli and Saka more dangerous. And those two, they'll get great numbers and even better numbers when when Gabriel Jesus is, is on the pitch. So, OK, you are right. I don't think he will get the goals, but his sort of link-up play and everything else will mean that and um, will mean that basically the other players, Saka and Martinelli in particular, will will make up for that. So if I was Arsenal, I'd be happy with Gabriel Jesus. And Nketiah, he's got a good record. Like every time he starts, he seems to do well. He obviously won the penalty on Monday. He's got a good goals record. So I think he's a good backup striker. So I'd say they'll, they'll be okay. Yeah, I agree. I think Gabriel Jesus is one of those players that like Tigo just said, he will make more goals for Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, even Trossard now. So I'm not worried about him. I think the main thing for them this year is if Jesus is going to spend some time on the sidelines like he normally does, can Nketiah bring his game to the next level and, and score those goals? Because he doesn't necessarily bring the other players into the game as well as Jesus does. Although he's a good player, and like you say, he did win the penalty um, on Monday. He was probably unlucky not to score. But big season for Nketiah. But when Jesus is back, um, he'll be like a new signing again again for Arsenal because... He does bring those forward players into the game a lot. Yeah, it is a good point, actually. Um, I think if you 
think back to like the Liverpool side, the whole thing was Firmino doesn't score goals, but look what he does for Salah and Mane. Um, United last year, Rashford top scorer, maybe, you know, Haaland and Kane aside from previous years, maybe it is the wingers who who do the damage at the top level now. So, yeah, um, good result for Arsenal. Um, and obviously, an- another little point, boys, is the conspiracy theory. I don't know if you boys have seen it about Palace's performance at night time versus daytime. And, as- and have Palace ever been televised in daylight at Selhurst Park? Always seems to be a Monday night uh, night game. Uh, and yeah, no one's seen Palace win at home uh, in the daylight. So good result for for Arsenal. Um, let's move on then, boys, and let's let's have a look at the upcoming weekend action. We'll start with Friday night football, uh, another night game, this time Chelsea uh, hosting Luton. Um, there's been the stats, and I think we even raised it on the pod last week, Tomo, about Enzo Fernandez not winning many games uh, for Chelsea yet. Surely got to be all three on Friday against Luton. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, they've They've started slowly in both their opening two games. Um, so far in the Premier League, they've actually conceded the opening goal in their last six Premier League games. Which, if which if they concede first against Luton, it will be a new club record for them. <laughs> but you you'd probably look at the end of the day. It's one of those simple ones to predict. I'll predict to Chelsea, Chelsea to come good and sort of win three or four nil. Actually, predict Nico Jackson um, to get his first Premier League goal. He's threatened in the first two games, not quite had the finishing touch, but um but I do think he I, I do think he'll score against Luton. One thing I will say, um, did a little bit of research before the pod. Luton had the second best away record in the championship last year with thirty one with forty one points behind Burnley. So they they will have to pick up points away from home, away from Kenilworth Road, if they are to stay in the Premier League. But yeah, Chelsea probably a step too far. Yeah, I, I worry for Luton, um, particularly after seeing that opening day defeat at Brighton, where I think I said a couple of pods ago that obviously Brighton were very good and we know they were a good side, but Luton, I thought, were were really, really naive and sloppy, um, which you don't expect from a team like that coming into the Premier League. You at least expect them to be organised. Um, and another thing is playing their first few games away from home I think the big thing for them will be when they can get at Kenilworth Road in front of their own fans and have that big sort of extra 10% of the furore of being in the Premier League. That might help them. But the longer they have to go to places like the Amex and Stamford Bridge before they even will probably feel like they've got half a chance in a game um, is going to make it 10 times harder for them. So um, home win home is at Stamford Bridge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is at Stamford Bridge. So home win comfortably for Chelsea. But like I've said before... They need to get the goals from somewhere because they're a very good outfit. Um, but as you boys know, I don't I don't think that Nicholas Jackson um, is going to be the provider of those. So be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of where the goals come from. But I, I do I do anticipate Chelsea winning that game. And I know we've got our WhatsApp mini league, so cards sometimes tight to the chest, boys. But Chelsea's fixtures looking quite good moving forward. Any transfer business uh, from an FPL point of view? I know that I. Uh, I made a shout yesterday, or oh, sorry, on Monday about bringing uh, Nicholas Jackson's in for Ollie Watkins. Watkins has gone on to bang a midweek catty, so not convinced on that. But Tomo, you've just said you fancy him to score, so a bit of a backtrack there from you. Yeah, yeah. That's how easily I'm swayed, basically. Listening to a couple of FPL podcasts this week, and they're all banging on about Nico Jackson and his underlying stats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so now's the time to bring him, bring him in. I'm also actually looking at bringing in because I, I want to get rid of Trent. Um, so I'm also actually looking at bringing in Colwell because he's only 4.5 mil and he looks like a stone wall to start every week. And like you say, they've got a good run of fixtures. So Colwell and um, Jackson might be coming in for me. It's not done yet. I won't do it until tomorrow, but yeah. I've bought in Chilwell. Um, I think... And I don't know if I'm right in saying this. I can't remember a Premier League defender ever scoring a hat-trick. I think Chilwell could be the first to do it. I'm not saying he's going to be at Luton, but the way that he's played in the first two games and the positions that he takes up, he always seems to find himself in on goal or in really dangerous positions. Um, I think he could be, if he can stay fit, a very, very big attacking 
um, point scorer, as well as obviously hopefully clean clean sheets from a Chelsea point of view. So yeah, Chilwell has been drafted straight into um, my fantasy football team. The only thing about that I would say, and I do agree with you, I've, I've been really impressed um, with how high he's been playing up, playing up the pitch. But he come off on the in the week, didn't he, or on the weekend um, on the 60th minute? So will he will he get 90 minutes? Because what tends to happen is Mudrick comes on on the wing. And Mudrick kind of takes those spaces up that Chilwell does. Um, so I do agree, Chilwell, he will 100% get attacking returns, but maybe not a hat trick. <laughs> uh, Mudrick, I've seen, I'm hoping that I too have brought Chilwell in. I'm Trippier out, freed up some funds there. Um, Chilwell's already gone up 0.2, which is a bit annoying. But um, yeah, really impressed with how high up the pitch he was. Obviously, he scored against Liverpool, but offside. Uh, do get the hour mark uh, point, Tomo, but Mudrick, who normally comes on, got injured, I think, yesterday in training and has got a sustained period on the touchline. So, um, hoping Chilwell gets 90 minutes. That's a blessing in disguise. Yeah, well, him and Anthony's the battle, isn't it, for who can be the worst winger in in the Premier League. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Anthony fares while Mudrick's out injured. But, uh, yeah, even an hour at home it might be as well the blessing if you come off in the 60th minute and you've got a clean sheet you can wrap that up with a goal for Chilwell double figure points probably a couple bonuses thank you very much and yeah just whether we bring in any of us have the uh bollocks to bring in Nico Jackson I'm looking at Loro to potentially look at his team at half at 6 p.m on Friday and just have Jackson in there and some winky face come in the whatsapp so we'll uh we'll look out for that um Move on to Saturday lunchtime, boys. Uh, Bournemouth hosts Spurs. Obviously, Spurs really impressive. Everyone raving about their midfield um, against United and their overall performance. Madison did leave the ground on crutches. I've not seen whether that's out means he's out of this weekend or whether he's in. But Laura, are you expecting them to go to Bournemouth and get all three? Oh, I think it's an interesting game because that is the sort of place you can get found out. Um if you're not at it or if Spurs aren't at the level that we think they might be just judging off the first two games. Um, but like, like I've said before, I've been so impressed with a couple of their players, obviously um, Udogi at, at, at wing back and uh, Basuma in midfield, who's not a new signer, but feels like one. Um, I think the big thing for them is just Cambridge Richarlison, who's playing in that sort of focal point of the attack at the minute, start finding the net. Because, like we've mentioned before, I think he's still only scored one or two league goals since he's been at Spurs. I know he's not going to get the same return as Harry Kane um, did. No one is. But if he can start firing and find some sort of form, then they could be in a really interesting position come the end of the season. But, um, you know, Bournemouth is one of those teams that sort of seem to surprise you. You always think they're going to lose every week and they always seem to go to Anfield and they're one they're up after 10 minutes so you never know interesting game I expect goals I expect an attractive game to watch um, but ultimately I think I'm expecting Spurs to come away with three points yeah so it's an it's an interesting game I think and it's, it's even more interesting if James Madison um, does miss it through injury because it'd be it'd be interesting basically to see how important he is to the, the sort of the flow of their attack um, like you say, Richarlison has struggled at Spurs. He's played 1,166 minutes in the Premier League for Tottenham and he's only scored one goal. And that's that's just fucking insane numbers from a player who starts up front for Brazil. So you'd, you'd expect him to come good at some point. Um, this fixture notoriously always provides lots of goals. So my prediction here will be a Desmond two-all. Yeah, just quickly there. Um, if Madison is out, obviously one of the big changes in Spurs this season so far is they've gone back to the sort of back four to allow Madison to be in that hole behind Richarlison. Who comes in there? Do they change? Do they change the shape of the team, or have they got someone that's going to come in and play Cam? I'm just trying to a genuine question, trying to rack my brain as to who fills that void. Um, I'll, have, I'll have a look at who was on there bench uh against United um I, I mean the the two holders were what Saar and Basuma so they've got Ollie Skip Ollie Skip that was the only Cam, one but he's not going to play Cam no um no that's a really interesting point I 
he seems like he's absolutely integral to everything Spurs do. He's already come in and been made assistant captain and um, vice captain, sorry, for, for them. So, yeah, I will be, I'll be really interested to see what they do there. They brought off the bench Perisic, Ben Davies, Emerson Royale uh, and Hoiberg against United. None of them seem to fit into that cam position, do they? So, and you don't that... really see Kulazewski or Son. They're not they're wingers, really, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? I know Son can play on his own up front sometimes, but I can't really see one of them coming into it because otherwise you could play maybe Perisic wide and bring one inside. But I'm not sure that works. So, um, like you said, he left the ground on crutches, and he's a uh, he's got like an injury next to him on FPL. But I've not heard too much concern from the Tottenham camp this week. Whether they're just keeping their cards close to their chest as regards to where. Um, as to regards with Madison, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I hope he plays because I love watching him play. And Spurs are obviously going to be a lot more, a lot better team with him in the side than without. Yeah, the, the journalist who saw him leave on crutches asked him. And um, I think Madison said hopefully everything was fine and might have been precaution. So I've not even seen sort of anything about pictures of him not training or anything like that. So probably one for us to check actually but that will be really really interesting to see how they set up if he's not in the team and how they fare without him for a period of time which is um insane the the kind of effect he seems to have had on that side in such a short period of time uh but yeah we'll see with Spurs um I, I fancy them to go and win at Bournemouth I think that they uh will win 2-0 and I think Son will will score um so Saturday, Saturday lunchtime covered, boys. On to Saturday afternoon. Uh, Tomo, we're going to start with United. A uh, bit doom and gloom. Obviously, last episode, I was quite scathing of United. I don't think it's got particularly much better. There's kind of takeover talks with Qatar meant to be coming in in mid-October. Um, there's been off-the-field issues with Greenwood. We've got Hoyland, who's apparently now not going to be back until after the international break. Mason Mount now out injured. Uh, a midweek... 3-0 loss to Burnley with our second string team, uh, all since we last spoke on Monday. So I'm guessing feeling quite downbeat about United or fancy them to turn it around and put on a bit of a show Saturday. Yeah. So when you list those <laughs> sort of negative factors, it does sort of make me spiral into a sort of a small bout of depression. But what I will say is it's not all do doom and gloom. United have beaten Nottingham Forest um, in their last 10 games with an aggregate score of 36 to 3. So my prediction is that United will win. The importance of this game has gone up tenfold just um, for me, purely because we're playing Arsenal away from home in the next fixture. And that basically, to me, is an Arsenal win. So if we if we go into that fixture only getting only having three or four Premier League points on the board after three games, then and then lose that game to Arsenal, then you're looking at Ten Hag being under enormous pressure in the in the first international break. Um but yeah like like I say it's not it's not all doom and gloom. I actually think we were we were quite good against Tottenham. Um we outperformed them in um shots shots on goal. We outperformed them on XG. We had four big chances at the game. We just like we spoke about before, we just need someone to put the ball in the back of the fucking net. Um, but we've got a really good record record at Old Trafford. Forrest have got a bad record away from home. So I can't see anything other than United win here. I think it's an absolute must win for Man United. Yeah, agree. Absolutely. I, I just think the whole the whole sort of atmosphere and environment and the you know, the the fans' perception of Eric Ten Hag and everything around the club. Basically, the future of Man United hinges on this football match for me. Um, at home, to not, it is at home, isn't it? It's Nottingham Forest <laughs> yeah, at the weekend. Yeah. You can't, you like you said, you got Arsenal next week. Suddenly, if you start the season poorly, like as you have, um, in terms of the performance against Wolves and the result against Tottenham, you can't then lose to Forest and then have Arsenal to play next week because suddenly every single fixture starts looking difficult and it can get away from you very, very quickly. So um, I haven't got an awful lot to say. I never know what to expect from Man United. I don't know who's going to play. I don't know who's going to score the goals, but you need big performances from your big players like we spoke about last week. And three points is absolutely everything. Yeah, so what I will say, yeah, you are right. <laughs> it's a massive game so early on in the season. Um what I will say is United, if they are to win, they're going to have to deal with the threat of a one-year 
who has scored eight goals in his last six Premier League games. Um, he's looked he's looked like an absolute beast, basically. Um, and if he scores against United, um, he will join Salah and Adebayor um, to hold the African record for scoring the most or scoring the most goals in seven consecutive Premier League games. So look, he's dangerous. We all know my feelings towards Morgan Gibbs-White. They've got Brennan Johnson. So they are dangerous. They will be dangerous on a counter-attack as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Casemiro deals with the counter-attack because uh, we spoke about his struggles this season. Hopefully another week on the training pitch means he's a little bit fitter and sharper. But yeah, look, like you say, United have to win this. It's got to be a win. Three points. How good is that, though, from a one-year? Like, I didn't even know those stats you just said. We pointed them out before as a player that we all quite like. But why isn't that getting spoken about? Like, that's an absolutely class return from Nottingham Forest. And he is a player that catches the eye. And he is the sort of player that can do you real damage, you being Man United. Because he likes to put himself about. He's very direct. He obviously likes a goal. Um, yeah. Very bright future, I think, that young man's got. And um, although it is a must-win for Man United, I'd love to see him bag a brace at the weekend. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I, I'd be less positive about a brace for him, uh, I must admit. But <laughs> I, I find it I find it weird that he, and maybe this is even you know better for him, but he has these stats but seems to be starting from the bench some games. He's not always like in the starting 11. Um, I don't think he often gets 90 minutes if he does start um, and obviously not if he has to come off the bench. They're, they're really impressive stats. You just wonder whether there's anyone, we've spoken about, goal scorers. I think last week we spoke at every Premier League game, Laura, you spoke about there was like a need for a goal scorer for a team. I just wonder if anyone like a Wolves and Everton, uh, maybe even the Spurs, teams like that are just thinking, you know, he's getting some goals. Could he be a name for a, a late dabble in the transfer market? Tomo? Yeah, I agree. I always think a player like that, though, for some reason has to like earn the trust of like the English media and like and maybe other clubs as well. Like I think he needs to go and have another good season. Um, but like you said, he doesn't seem to. He's not like the first name on the team sheet, is he? The uh, Forest seem to start with a, a lot of variations uh, along their front line. They certainly did last season. But what in talk about trust? They have got a very good manager in Steve Cooper, who I would trust if I was a Forest fan. And you've got to remember, if he isn't starting all those games and he is coming off the bench, he's getting that return whilst he's doing that. So you could say it's working. But I certainly think if he has a good first half of the season, he could be he could be one that those clubs that you just referred to there um, maybe have a look at come January. Yeah, I think you'll find the main, one of the, basically the main reasons why a one he's not started every game, doesn't finish 90 minutes, is because he does have fitness issues. Um, I think we said on the, a previous pod that he's got um, he doesn't he doesn't play many minutes basically. But if he can stay fit, like you say, um, he bring he brings those sort of attacking trio of Alanga, uh, Morgan Gibbs White, and Brennan Johnson into play, and he obviously gets on the end of the like, of the crosses etc. and the passes as well. So yeah, he he he's a danger, but. United need to deal with him. We just need to win. Yeah, we we do. And it, it shouldn't be where I'm listening to you talk about a one-year Morgan Gibbs-White, Brennan Johnson, Alanga coming off the bench and being worried. But you can just already see them countering at pace against our back four and Casemiro just sort of spinning around in his own, own area thinking, what on earth's going on here? Um, just a quick question, Tomo, um, before we move on. Mason Mount's obviously going to be out now till after the international break. Uh, Scott McTominay played midweek in this Burnley fixture. What do you think United are going to do from a midfield point of view? Obviously, Casemiro and Bruno are a given. Do you think Christian Eriksen straight back in to play against Forrest? Or McTominay got a chance to start in, maybe do something a bit left field? What's, what's your thoughts? No, I would I would go back to Christian Eriksen, to be honest. Um, he, like... We brought in Mason Mount because, essentially, because Christian Eriksen's getting on a bit. He's not as mobile. He can't get around the pitch. He was coming off most weeks last last season after maybe 60, 65 minutes. But most of the time when he played, he was very good. And our midfield dominated games because of, because of him, essentially, because he was orchestrating it from that sort of quarterback position. 
So, yeah, I fully expect him to play at home to Forest. You'd expect us to have quite a lot of the ball. So I expect him to have a good game. Just quickly there as well. Alanga, he's not on loan at Forest, is he? They've signed him. Yeah, they've signed him. Oh, that that is an absolute disaster waiting to happen, isn't it? You can see that now. Um, but yeah, I agree with Tomo. It's got to be Christian Eriksen at home. You're playing at home to Nottingham Forest. It can't be Casemiro McTominay, can it? No it's way. Got to be Eriksen. It, just another point as well on Eriksen is like I know Ten Hag wants this like pressing style of football and Mason Mount, you know, running his bollocks off and hurrying them up. But that's when the team aren't when United aren't in possession, right? He's trying to win the ball back and start again and provide legs. You're hoping a game like this, we should have most of the possession. Ericsson in possession means Forrest aren't. You know, if he's bopping the ball about and stuff like that, I don't think we always need to be worried about, oh, press, press, press. Like, let's just keep the ball and maintain possession and, and win the game. The only thing I will say is it sort of plays into Forrest's hands because they'll want to play on the counter. So they'll want to sit back and sort of not let United have the ball, but like sort of allow United to play without causing them damage. And then they'll look to counter when your Casemiro's and Christian Eriksen's and Bruno's lose the ball. And with those, like we spoke about, with a one year up top who can hold the ball and bring those guys into play, um, it will be dangerous. But look, we're, I'm talking, I'm talking in circles here. Look, United just have to win. Yeah. No, no matter what what the sort of the game how how it goes, it just we need to win. Yeah, agreed. I, I th- we definitely need to win. I think we will win. Again, I'm looking. I'm I'm hoping that it being at three o'clock on a Saturday, not on TV. I'm not sure if the players even think about it, but in my mind, it means it takes a little bit of the edge off of it for them. They're not kind of being scrutinised live. I think United aren't off and on at three o'clock Saturday. I'm hoping just to see a 3-0 victory, watch match of the day with a bit of pleasure for once. And yeah, we'll see We'll see how they go. But I will go for home United win. Uh, move on to another game then, boys, on Saturday. Uh, Arsenal, we spoke about from Friday night football. They host Fulham. Uh, Fulham just lost Mitrovic. Uh, Loro, anything other than comfortable Arsenal victory? What was that? They got Fulham? Yeah. Yeah, like absolute route, four or five nil, nothing else to say. I thought um, on the first game of the season, I thought Fulham um, would lose at Everton. And apparently Everton had more of the game, but Fulham got away with a win. But then they lost 3-0 at home to Brentford last week, didn't they? And I think Arsenal will be buoyed by picking up those points at Selhurst Park on Monday night. And uh, yeah, I think that's an absolute rout. And um, I know I disagreed with you at the start of the season. I definitely don't think Fulham will go down, but... Marco Silva could be regretting that decision not to go to Saudi Arabia pretty soon because the pressure will mount pretty qu- pretty quickly on him if um if results start tumbling away. But um look, early days, but definite Arsenal route there four or five nil. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, Arsenal Arsenal have never lost a home game in their history in the Premier League against Fulham. They've played thirty times, they've won twenty four, and they've drew six. And and I don't I predict that those wins columns to be twenty five because they're going to batter Fulham. Simple. Uh, see, I didn't know that. That 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 gives me hope if I was a Fulham fan, because the law of averages at some point it's got to change. And and do you know what? Just to play devil's advocate, sometimes when something's such a home win, and Arsenal are thinking, oh, we got away with the Palace one, and now lovely Fulham at home. Sometimes that can go against you. So I'm going to reverse that and I'm going to go 2-1 Fulham. Oh. All right. Okay. Well, let, let me just hit you with one more stat then, uh, Loro. Um, <laughs> Fulham, yeah, have never won their first two away games in a top flight season ever. And this will be their 29th attempt. Well, that cements it then. Because that's two <laughs> law of averages that need to be broken. God, I'd hate to be an Arsenal fan Saturday. <laughs> Right, so now it's an absolute shoo-in, Fulham away win. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, we can't, no one can look past that and can't see past it. But, um, yeah, I, I actually think that that might be sort of 5-6-7-0 Arsenal complete route. But last time I thought Arsenal were going to do that was when they hosted Southampton uh, on Friday Night Football last year. Uh, and I think that ended up being a 3-0 draw. So, we will look out for, for the result for that one. But, yeah, I can't really see past Arsenal. And... Also, I think 
you really need a team to start keeping pace with City as well. It would be really, really frustrating if in international break City are already a few points clear of the top. So, yeah, um, not a nice thing to say from a United perspective, but probably looking for Arsenal to to get three points on Saturday. Moving on to another game then, boys. So, and I think probably the fixture of Saturday, unless I'm looking past anything else, Brighton-West Ham. West Ham obviously won against Chelsea, maybe didn't deserve it, but got the job done. Um, Drew at Bournemouth probably should have won that game. Um, And they go to Brighton, who I think have scored, what, eight goals, is it, from their two games? Scored four in both games. Look absolutely electric. They've got a massive, massively difficult run of fixtures coming Brighton. Um, Probably the bookies will say Brighton home win. Tomo, do you give West Ham a sneak, though? Um. Well, no, not really. <laughs> Brighton have looked class, basically, haven't they? They've got, they're, they're firing on all cylinders, like Sonny March is banging for, Matoma, Inciso, Estupinian. I'm trying to find reasons why it might be a tight game. Um, obviously, West Ham coming off a really good result against Chelsea. In terms of the sort of the style of play, you'll see Brighton dominate the ball. West Ham happy to sit in there and hit them on a counter. So maybe if they frustrate them in the first half, keep it nil-nil. Antonio did what he did against Chelsea, scores a great uh, counter-attack goal. You never know, but for me, it will be a Brighton win. They just look they just look imper- imperious at the start of the season. Yeah, I-, I do give West Ham a chance. I think West Ham is the sort of team that could cause Brighton trouble. But I, I always fancy Brighton when they're playing. Like you say, they've got a difficult run of fixtures coming up. That will be a difficult fixture for each of those difficult teams that they've got as well. And I, you know, Brighton will be fancied in some of them games. And I also fancy, you know, um, Brighton against the run to the litters in the league, like your Lutons and your Sheffield United's, no disrespect. But your West Ham's, I think that's where they can come a little bit unstuck um, or where they could be wary of becoming unstuck. Um, so I, I definitely fancy a Brighton win, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a set-piece goal separate the sides and James ward prowse be the provider again. So, you know, one nil weave away wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, if I was a betting man, which everyone knows I'm not, I definitely would go for Brighton. Yeah, so J- actually, just to jump in there, he's, he's such an astute signing, isn't he, James ward prowse yeah. Just fits yeah. fits the way they play, fits, fits David Moyes' style of play. It would just be interesting to see... Obviously, long term, if they stick with David Moyes and how that sort of changes, but they've got such a big team with like your Kurt Zuma's at the back and um, Suchek and obviously Agard. He will be suspended, but he he got on the end of one of James Ward-Prowse's crosses for against Chelsea. So yeah, he will be dangerous and definitely something that Brighton will have to look out for on the weekend. But I think we all agree, Brighton three points. Yeah. Ward Prowse, um, two assists on his debut. I think there'll be plenty more of that come from. You can probably factor in five free kicks across the season. Any FPL thoughts for you boys weighed up him and his price at all? Not yet. Not yet. But but obviously he will be like just set piece wise, and obviously if he's on penalties as well, you you're looking at a solid, a solid FPL performer. So one to watch, but not quite yet for my team now. I'm just hoping Matoma stops scoring and assisting because you can't have everyone in fantasy football. But yeah, he's one I wish I, I picked from the start. And now I'm sort of doubling down every week thinking, now nah, I'm not going to bring him in because he ain't going to do it every week. He can't he can't score every week. But um, as I think Karen Carney said the other day, he's the best winger she's ever seen in the league. So big words for a big player. And um, yeah, I'm just hoping that stops pretty soon because I'm... I'm one of the few that don't actually have Carroll in my side. Yeah, so Matoma's he's created the most um chances in the in the Premier League this season. He's created nine chances over two games. So you I just fully expect that to carry on. He just looks he looks absolutely different gravy. Yeah, looking forward to seeing him and Esther Pinion uh down City's left hand side next season, uh, as the league plunges further and further into a farmers league. <laughs> Uh, right, we'll move on from that then, boys. But yeah, I would. I actually think that might be a draw. I'm going to go to all. I think Laura's right that Brighton have got a few teams. It's almost top teams. They 
are really up for the game and look really good against the weaker, weaker sides they're too good for. There's this little sort of mixture of teams which are just sort of that middle one. I think Loro even mentioned something about last season when he needed them to get a result against Leeds. I think they went and got bopped by Everton or something like that. I think that West Ham might potentially uh, get something there, but we will see. And um, But again, another side who... Maybe you want to keep pace with City. They're not going to be a title challenge, I don't think. I might might regret saying that. But um, yeah, it'd be nice nice for some teams to keep uh, keep unbeaten records going. Boys, we'll quickly flip over to Sunday. I just want to talk about probably the most mouthwatering fixture of the whole weekend, Newcastle versus Liverpool. Uh, Tomo, I've seen a little bit on Twitter, but I'm sure you're, you're more up to speed with it than me, about Mo Salah being heavily linked with a move to Saudi Arabia. Um, I think even David Ornstein's given a little seal of approval that that's in talks. Any sort of update on that? Not, not nothing nothing else other than, than they are in talks. I, I, to, be honest, to be honest, I don't expect that move to happen this summer. I would fully expect it to happen in 2024. I'd be really shocked if that goes ahead, but be interesting to see if, if Salah's performance is affected by those rumours, apparently, apparently the offer is two hundred million euros a year, which would make him the highest-paid player in Saudi Pro League, which is no mean feat. It would that's enough to turn anyone's head, really. Um, I'm interested to see if he's still on penalties after obviously missing a penalty against Bournemouth. Um, Alexis McAllister, he's available. I think he was on. He was on. He. Well, he's available after his suspension was lifted and he was on penalties for Brighton last year. I think Shabozlai was on penalties for RB Leipzig. They both got great records. So it'd be interesting FPL-wise to see if Salah comes off it. My prediction is he'll just carry on taking them until he until until he says otherwise, basically. Um, but yeah, this one here, I, I predict a Newcastle win. I just think St. James's Park, the crowd, like the, the crowd, the atmosphere will be electric. We've all been pretty impressed with them so far this season, even if they didn't get the result that they were looking for against City. Um, so, yeah, I actually I predict Newcastle to win. So do I. I think it's the absolute worst possible game for Liverpool at the moment. We've said it before. St. James's Park is a cauldron at the moment. They've got all the vibes, all the vibes in the world. They're electric. They've got a really well-balanced team. They've got pace going forward. And the one thing you need at a, a ground like St. James's Park when it's like that is someone in that midfield to put the foot on the ball and slow it down and take time out of their game and quieten that down the home fans for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. And like we spoke about before, that's the one thing that Liverpool are missing at the moment, that sort of um, dog in midfield. So they needed a Fabinho, they needed a Rodri, they need someone like that that's going to go there and um, stop the early momentum at St James's Park. But I don't think it's going to happen. And I wouldn't actually be surprised to see a similar sort of game to what we saw on the opening day of the season against Aston Villa. Wow, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. They have got a dog in midfield now in Endo, but that might be a bit more dog shit. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Murph, that think... is incredibly harsh. He is, he is a good player. Yeah, um, I don't think... I think he's going to be absolutely terrible. I actually think that Salah move will happen. I think he's probably looking now, thinking, are Liverpool going to win anything else this year? He's not got Champs League football keeping him. Um, I believe he's a Muslim himself, and so that would be quite an interesting proposition to go over to Saudi Arabia. They're saying they're going to make him the highest-paid player out there, which I think with some of the figures that are being paid to Neymar, Ronaldo, Benzema, etc., would just be serious serious money I think the only thing that will stop that move is Liverpool blocking it because I don't think that they could afford to lose Salah um, if they've got any aspirations for top four or even maybe top six with the amount of time they'd have to replace him um, so I think that that move might happen if if money talks and Salah can convince Liverpool to let him go um, so yeah and I think Newcastle will win as well I think that I think that you're both right St. James's Park, Cauldron, um, they go and get big results. They get the crowd up, it gets whipped up, they get an early goal and they go on the attack. And yeah, I fancy them to uh, to go and beat Liverpool. Do you remember the first game of the season at Chelsea where Klopp took Salah off and he had a massive strop and started throwing things around? Like, he ain't quite right, is he? 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he went either. And even if he doesn't, you don't want the noise around it and like the the effect it will probably have on his performances. And I think you're you're right, Murphy. He's probably looking at it and thinking we've probably had that period now where we've we won the Champions League and we won the league. Few key players have gone. They've not been replaced. And it may be just coming to the end of that era, if you like. And it might be the perfect time for him to go. And like like we've all said, money speaks, money talks. Yeah, what I will say. Um... That was a good that that sort of strop when he come off against Chelsea was a good indicator that all all was not well there. But I actually thought the first indicator that all is not well there was at the end of the season or just shy of the end of the season when he tweeted out basically saying how ashamed he was and embarrassed that Liverpool didn't qualify for the Champions League. And I just thought, and it was almost like the Europa League's beneath him. Um and I, I thought that was quite an unnecessary post from Mo. Um, <laughs> so, so I thought it was, it was an indication that actually you know, maybe he's not quite happy with the direction that Liverpool are going in. Yeah, uh, how out of order was that from Mo? <laughs> well, we've, we've got the our Euro, title. The Europa League's glowing, but the Saudi Pro League is fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I think we all agreed there, aren't we? It's, it's just not. <clears throat> It's not looking overly good for Liverpool at the moment, is it? And the last place you want to go is an absolute revved up St. James's Park. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, boys. Right, we'll quickly go through the rest of the Premier League um, action. Uh, maybe if we can just touch on where you fancy the uh, result to be and maybe a player to look out for um, if you want to. So starting off with Brentford v Palace, Tomo. Well, I've got Eze in my fantasy team and he still not returns, but I'm going to keep him in. Um, so I hope he does something for me because he, he has created a lot of chances and had a lot of shots on goal in the first two fixtures. So, yeah, I'm looking out for Eze, but I actually predict a Brentford win. I've absolutely no idea which way that game goes. Two good sides, well-managed, good players. Um, look out for Embuemo. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might not. Uh, way win, Palace 2 1. Wow, okay, yeah. Uh, I think Brentford home win, I think 2 0 Brentford. Uh, how you've got Matoma not in your fantasy side, um, and just hoping that he fizzles out. I'm like that with Embuemo at the minute. I'm just trying to trying to work out whether I bring him in and I'm trying to free up some funds to bring him in as my fifth midfielder and play all five in midfield. Um, but I worry that I will, over the course of the next couple of weeks, sort of do the transfers to free up the money and then he'll blow cold. So um, I fancy him to score again. And if he does, that might mean that he has to go straight in my basket. Um, Everton Wolves, I'll go first on that. Nil-nil, absolute stinker. Last game on match of the day. Uh, Shearer and Lineker just basically highlighting how uh, DCL's out, isn't he? So I imagine more pie will have to start again. And then you got Cunha for Wolves, how both have three or four chances and uh, neither side can score. Laura? Yeah, completely agree. Nil-nil, neither side will be able to score. I think they're 19th and 20th in the table and it wouldn't surprise me if it stayed that way for quite a long time. Tomo? Yeah, hat trick, nil nil, shite game, move on. <laughs> well, if anyone's got uh, Pickford in goal, then they'll be uh, very happy with that, or any other defenders or keepers across the teams. Um, right, Sheffield United versus City. Laura, I'm going to come to you first on this one, who sometimes likes an upset. Do you give Sheffield United any chance at all at home to Man City? No. I think it's 3 0 City. And I'm hoping that Phil Foden is going to continue his impressive looking form in that attacking position for Manchester City. And I'm not going to give anything away, but that might give you an indicator as to who's been one of the midfielders drafted in to my wild card this week. Okay. So oh. I might I might surprise you, Murph. I, I do I do give Sheffield United a chance of scoring the seventh goal in a 6-1 defeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, like Lauro said, Bowden's the one to watch. He's created nine chances in the first two games. Obviously, he didn't even start the first game, I don't believe. Or did he? Um, maybe that was the Super Cup or the Community Shield. He didn't start. I think it was the Community Shield. Um, yeah, so Foden, the one to watch. Um, but yeah, City going to blast them away. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I think maybe the new Premier League record set here. Um 11-0 to Man City. <laughs> um I if it wasn't for double game weeks, I'd be triple captain in Haaland here. I think it could be an absolute steamrolling on Sunday afternoon. Um I will give you a little insight into a real, real dilemma for me on FPL is I've got one transfer left. I've obviously been talking about in Bueno. I've spoke before about Nicholas Jackson potentially swapping in for Ollie Watkins. Now De Bruyne's out. I'm really, really thinking about Alvarez. I think he's cheaper than Evan Ferguson, who's my third striker, who I'm not sure is going to start. Um, for he's not more expensive than Evan Ferguson. Yeah. He How is, much- is he? He's six point. I think he's six point five. Alvarez. Okay, so point five more. So that the money that I freed up from Trippier to Chilwell, I might bring Alvarez in. I think he's going to start a lot of games, and I might go him and Harlan both up front and just sit on Sunday, just watch the points rack up. Just very quickly, just because of all the disrespect that um, Sheffield United <laughs> have been shown there, I, I I made a comment that I must reverse calling or referring to Luton and Sheffield United as the run to the litter. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Two fantastic football clubs and obviously my full respect to Blades and Hatters fans respectively. But um, it's a really tough league and and you two just look like the weakest two at the moment for me. But I really hope you prove me wrong. But not run to the litter. Fantastic institutions of English football. And I apologise unreservedly for my comments. I think we've got the uh, title of the podcast, Murph. Yeah, we do. Well, we got a few now. We we can go to Endo. We can go to Sheffield United and Luton, and I think we had another one in there as well. So, uh, last but not least, and actually probably a game that deserves a little bit more respect than a one-word sort of answer. But um, Burnley Villa, obviously, uh, Fergie. Sorry, Tomo. Sir Alex Ferguson was in, extremely impressed with Villa in their five-one uh, loss. Uh, at Newcastle, so he must have been really, really revved up with them last weekend. Um, they travelled to Burnley. Do you fancy Villa to to get a win on the board there? I think it'll be really interesting because obviously Burnley didn't play against Luton on the weekend um, and they obviously got beat by City in the first game of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how we judge Burnley on this game, home game at Turf Moor. Villa have just, like you say, just just played in the week. So it'll be the first test of whether or not that, that squad can cope with three games a week. But I'm looking out for Watkins to get his first um, Premier League goals of the season. And that's basically my FPL bias coming out there because I'd like him to score a couple. But yeah, I think that's an interesting game. So do I. Where is it? Turf Moor? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm re- I'm really really interested to see what a bit of a false start wasn't it against Manchester City, um, but I've spoken on previous pods of how impressive I was with Company and Burnley and the way they played last year. Um, this will be a, a bit more of a accurate representation of what they're going to look like in the Premier League, and um, yeah, like you just said, I think Burnley are ones to watch either way whether they take to it like a duck to water and they're that one that comes at the pack like Leeds did in their first season back and Wolves and Sheffield United under Chris Wilder a few years ago and sort of get a top half finish. Um, But that's getting harder and harder to do. And you need to be beating teams like Aston Villa at home to do that, which isn't an easy feat. So um, I'm going to go score draw there, but interested to see how Burnley set up. Yeah, I'm going to go for a Villa win away, but I don't think it will be easy. Again, FPL head on. Um, would like Ollie Watkins to score, but I think DRB started really well as well. He's on my watch list. So if he starts getting consistent attacking returns, might be someone to uh, to look at. But yeah, I think Villa might have a bit much for Burnley. I think Villa are actually a really, really decent side now, but you kind of say that about sort of 10 to 12 teams in the Prem now. Let's move on to the EFL boys and a couple of the uh, big topics. So Loro's leads go to unbeaten Ipswich. Uh, Ipswich have just today added Brandon Williams uh, from Man United on loan, um, who I think his club so far have been United, Norwich and now Ipswich. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure how the Norwich fans will feel about that. But um, I think we spoke last time, 22 unbeaten. They'll be looking to make it 23. But Loro, a couple more positive signs on the uh, transfer and play inside for Leeds. Do you do you fancy yourself to get something at the weekend? Uh, not necessarily the weekend, because that's a difficult place to go. Obviously, Ipswich haven't 
haven't lost a game since February or whenever it was. But um, yeah, I've got to be honest, I'm absolutely bouncing off the walls that Fabrizio Romano tweeted today that Joel Pirro is either on his way or at Ellen Road um, or Thorparch for his medical. Now, I'm not going to get too ahead of myself because Max Ahrens was in the same place two weeks ago and the keener eyed amongst us might have noticed he turned out for Bournemouth at the weekend. So it doesn't always work out um, how we want it to. But that is exactly the player we need. We need a number nine that can score goals. We've been crying out for it for ages and not someone from a foreign league, someone that's been doing it in England and no one has scored more championship goals than Joel Pirro since August 2021. He's got the same as uh, Victor Goyacres who's just gone to Sporting Lisbon for 24 million. So what a sign-in that will be. I'm really, really excited. Couple that with the news that Nonto and Sinistera are back in training and we might be keeping both or at least one of them. And all of a sudden, that attacking line for Leeds United looks so, so promising. Just like Daniel Farker said, after we get through August, we'll be looking aside. Um, so maybe a little bit too quick on the Ipswich one because they're a good side. They're flying and I'm not sure. You know, I'd, I'd happily take a point there. Um, but much brighter times ahead, I think, for Leeds United fans and I, you know, I can't tell you how happy I am about the Piro news, but not done yet. So hopefully on the next pod it will be. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've seen a few bits about the Nonto and Sinistera, and obviously we've spoken about Joel Piro before and the goals that he's got at Swansea. So um, if he's going to be the the goals that you used to get out of Bamford, then could be brighter times ahead for Leeds fans. Um, boys. Lauro posed a real interesting question uh, earlier in the week, and I want to raise it today and get your opinion. So Mark Hughes uh, at Bradford, he got to the playoffs last year, Lauro, or just missed out on the playoffs last year? No, they got they got to the playoffs and they got knocked out in the semis, I think, by Carlisle, if I remember rightly. Yeah, so obviously probably a good season last year, um, whether Bradford have expectations to be out of League Two and, and the pressure was already on from there, but... They've made a pretty ordinary start to the season. There's people now calling for him to leave. I think his managerial experience before that's kind of been at the top level. And it's interesting to then look at if a manager just drops down from the Prem, like if a player dropped down from the Prem, would they just excel at League Two? And it kind of goes back to that age-old question of would Pep Guardiola be able to do it at a club where there's tight purse strings and he's not Barcelona, Bayern Munich, City manager? And interested to get your points, Laura. Yeah, well, I just, I find myself looking out for Bradford's results because of that Mark Hughes. It's such a weird career move that you literally never see. He was Blackburn, Man City, Fulham, Stoke, All-Prem, three or four year hiatus, then Bradford League Two. You don't see that very often. And it does give us a little insight into what you've just said. If you take the top guys out of their top clubs with all the top budgets and the top stadiums, top facilities, and stick them in Bradford, do they do it? And I'm not saying Mark Hughes isn't. They got to the playoff semis last season. Um, and although they haven't started particularly well this year, it's only four games in. But, I mean, if Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp for right, sod this, I'm going to League Two and I'm going to Wimbledon on Tuesday nights and I'm going to Stockport away on Saturday. Are they ripping it up and winning every single week and gaining promotion? Or are they finding it as hard as Mark Hughes is? Because he's not a, a, a small club in League Two. He's at Bradford, probably the biggest club in terms of stature and history and probably even ground capacity as well. Um, what do you think, Tomo? If you take a Jurgen Klopp or a Pep out of the Premier League and stick them in League Two, do their side automatically get promoted? Well, can I start by answering this question by addressing the biggest elephant in the room? And that is the fact that we are comparing Mark Hughes to Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. Um, Mark We're not. Well, we can't. We're, we're exaggerating the point to make a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not for one instant saying that Pep and Klopp are in the same league as Mark Hughes. Mark's a much more experienced guy who's been there and done it. Yeah. So what? What I will say is, I was actually when he took the job, like you, um, little bemused, surprised, but actually impressed because he's probably earned all the money he needs in football. Um, his family are comfortable, um, et cetera, et cetera. He's probably taken that job because, one, it was one of the only options on the table, um, and but it, it probably wasn't for a great wage. Um, 
And two, he's obviously he's obviously taken that because it's for the love of the game. So I was impressed that he took the job. In answer to the question, your Klops and Guardiola's go anywhere in the world and succeed wherever they are, just because they are the type. They are the sort of upper echelon of the best manager. They're, they're basically the top two managers um, in the world right now. So yeah, I would suggest they are. But the thing with Guardiola, he always he always gets sort of beaten with the stick of, well, he's got the biggest budget. He had that one poor season at City where basically he couldn't coach. Not They're not ordinary players, but he couldn't coach the, the lesser players to a Premier League title. I think um, who was it? Was it Chelsea who won the league that season under Conte in his first year? Um, and obviously the, the criticism of him is if he, if he doesn't get the best out of a Claudio Bravo in one year. Okay, no problem. 50 million, 60 million, Edison comes in. So, and obviously, if he goes down to Bradford, you just can't do that. Um, But there are loads of examples of Guardiola taking players and making them a lot better. You've got John Stones, Carl Walker. Carl Walker was already a great player at Tottenham. And I think we can all agree... He's become even better under Pep. John Stones, John Stones, the same. Raheem Sterling, he's never been, he's never been really as good anywhere else other than under Pep. Um, so my prediction, and it's probably the least surprising prediction, is that Guardiola would do all right. <laughs> he would do all right wherever he is. I I think he'd be sacked by Christmas. <laughs> Uh, and I'll tell you why. I think he'd go in and he would turn he'd turn up at the training ground, see his squad and start talking about, you know, these these style of plays that he wants to implement. He'd have a look on the training field and then Tomo, he'd probably go to his chairman and be like, oh, yeah, I need a new keeper who can play out from the back. I need fullbacks who overlap and tuck, tuck in to make a box midfield. Need a goal scorer to bang in 25 goals. The owner, who's probably just a local businessman at League Two level with a bit of bunts, is stood there thinking, "Well, hang on, Pep, you got a squad of eighteen out there, and we did all right last year, so you need to need to make that work." So I think he'd throw his toys out the pram. He'd start kicking off at journalists like he does in his interviews, who are just local decent guys trying to make a living. Uh, and I think he'd leave the club disgraced. Um, but yeah, Tom, I don't know if you want to add anything else. Well, can I just come in there um, with an example of of how it works the other way? So let let's just let's just use Burnley and Vincent Company as an example. Yeah, Sean Dyche. How long was he there for? Seven, eight years. That whole football club was basically Sean Sean Dyche FC. Um, very much Route One, back to basics football, which I assume most would be like League One, League Two. And then you've got Vincent Company comes in and within, a, within what was it, maybe two, three months, he's completely transformed the whole club and turned players who who previously under Dyche were the sort of, well, who fit into the Route 1 style of play. And then Vincent Company comes in and, and turns them into free-flowing attacking football. So Guardiola would just do that for a Bradford. That's my prediction. Yeah, I interesting. I just maybe don't particularly like Pep as a geezer, so <laughs> he didn't do well. But you know, as as you said about not comparing Mark Hughes to sort of his Klops and Big Sam's level, um, as Big Sam so shamelessly put uh, in his stint at Leeds. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it would be a real real challenge for them down at that level, and whether they'd be able to stick it out or not would be very interesting. But yeah, good debate. Uh, right, we'll move on to Yeovil. We always have a bit of a segment on the Glovers. Uh, Lauro, I believe this weekend you're coming out of the stands with the common man and going a bit more corporate, aren't you, for the weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'm up with the Prawn Sandwich Brigade on Saturday just for a one-off, just to get a, a new vantage point. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the game from the side rather than behind the goal because a lot of the opinions that seem to come out of the main stand and the screw fix stand are completely different to what I see. So I'm looking forward to it. We're playing Tombridge Angels. Now, when you get relegated to a league like National League South, you look at the you look at the league and they're one of the sides you look at and think, 
you know, that brings it back down to earth what kind of level we're at. Not to be disrespectful to Tombridge Angels, but it is also a game that I look at and think we need to be beating these four, five or six. Um, so, we're, yeah, we're playing Tombridge Angels Saturday and then we're playing away at Haven on Monday. I'm expecting, anticipating and fully hoping for six points over that period. Um, and we'll be right at the top of the table if that happens. So really looking forward to it, but I've already learned not to count my chickens even at this level because um, there's some good players and good teams around. What we're talking, Lauro, is the package you guys are getting for being up in the box. Is it a yeah, free... What's, what's hospitality at the Glovers these days, Lauro? Yeah. We're not in a box. Uh, we're in the restaurant before the game. Um, I don't know what it is. It used to be a free-course meal. Obviously, we've got a new, new owner and a new setup up there now, so... That's one of the reasons we're going up there, just to have a look at it. I think they've done some um, cosmetic improvements up there as well that was needed because it was a little bit ageing um, internally at Hewish Park over the last few years. But I, I am actually mainly looking forward to watching it from the side, like I said, because there seems to be completely contrasting views um, from fans that are sitting in different areas of the um, ground as to who's a good player and who's not a good player and who's performing and who isn't. So... Um, I'm going to watch the football. The people that are coming with me are coming for the free course meal and the pints, I think. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I'm looking forward to it, as I always do. Yeah, we'll enjoy that. Uh, I'm hoping to have some sort of level of fitness back for to play some footy, but it's not looking good based on training. Um, but going to give it a go on Saturday. Uh, Mighty Sherbourne Town kick off their FA Vars road to Wembley, the all-step five and some step six teams will do uh, at home to Millbrook. So hopefully we will uh, drive forward in that competition. And yeah, you'll get to come and watch me at Wembley. Boys, running out of time, but I've got a bit of a game for us. And I'm hoping that this can be a ongoing feature uh, of the pod. So um, I've very I thought long and hard about what to call it and landed on spin the wheel. Um, which took loads and loads of thinking. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share on my screen a wheel. You're going to have the four FPL positions, which will be goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, and forward. Whatever the wheel lands on, we all then pick a player from FPL. You can't have Haaland's. That's the only rule if it's a forward. Uh, he's a cheat code and boring. Um, you pick a player for whatever that position is. On the next pod, we'll review the points that they've got. If you win outright, three points. If you come second, one point. Uh, if you come third, zero points. If there's a tie in it, then we'll work out the points, uh, how we divvy it up. Um, but yeah, keen to give it a go? Yes, yeah, let's oh. go for it. Good stuff. Right. Let me spin the wheel then. Spin in. Not the ideal start, not what I was hoping for, but we've landed on goalkeeper. Uh, <laughs> Tomo, segment. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it will only pick up from here. Uh, Tomo, I'm going to start with you, actually, uh, for this week. I'll let you go first. Thank God. Um, well, simple, biased opinion, but I'm going to go Andre Anana. He's a, oh, despite the fact that United may not have had the best of starts, he got a clean sheet in the first game. I thought it was pretty impressive against Spurs um, with the ball at his feet. And there was one pass to Garnacho that was absolutely out of this world, which made me think he may have an assist in him this season. Um, he's five million, so not too expensive. So, yeah, Andre Anana, I fully expect him to get a clean sheet against Forrest this weekend. Laura, you can go second. I'll go last to start with. I'll have that Edison. Um, <laughs> that Manchester City goalkeeper who's playing uh, newly promoted Sheffield United on Sunday. I don't think I need to explain anymore. <laughs> I will be taking um, the Brazilian as my pick this week. Yeah, I fancy him to get a brace, to be fair. <laughs> um, right, doesn't leave much for me, does it? Uh, do you know what? I, I'll i probably end up with a David Rea starts in goal or something ridiculous like that, but I will go for Ramsdale at home to Fulham then. Um Fancy them to obviously get a result. Um, but yeah, I am hoping for a clean sheet and you never know that he might crop up with some extra points. Go on, Tomo. Breaking news. Man City have signed Jeremy Doku for 60 million euros. 
from that. And we will end there on a exclusive from Deadline Day Live. Uh, boys, thanks for your time. Have a great weekend and speak to her on Monday. Take care. One, two, three.